G'day and welcome back to Range Anxiety, your podcast that's bringing 30 years of automotive experience into 30 minutes. Supposedly, well, it was going to start out as once every two weeks, then it's come back to once a week, and now I'm doing a couple a week just to catch up on things till we get to the current status quo. Now, before I go on about that interesting intro track that I just laid on you, for the start of this podcast, uh, let's talk about some feedback. And I actually got a critical one this week. It was uh, international from Australia, I'm not sure where, but uh, the guy told me not to talk about anything when I don't know what I'm talking about. And I think it was in reference, it was in reference to ground effects. And I I must have said that when we did the Cannonball, that uh, some of the supercars had ground effects because they were throwing rocks at me from, you know, half a mile away and they were coming down on the car. And yes, look, true, it wasn't an upside-down diffuser. Um, it was an aerofoil, sorry, pulling the car into the ground, but it was enough to suck shit up off the road and throw it at me. And yeah, I was around watching Formula One in 1980. Yes, I'm that old when Alan Jones won the world title in the Williams FW07 which was one of the first proper ground effects cars ever with sliding skirts. So I do know a little bit about it. I'm no aerodynamicist, but I've got a basic uh, handle on things. So thank you very much for that. And on, to the, on with the show. This week, it's quite a topical um, cast because yeah, I'm going to rabbit on a little bit about one of my passions this week, which is uh, the Tesla vehicles, as you, those of you that follow me on other social media platforms would know. A couple of good things have spurred me to talk about this this week. One, I've just uh, signed up a major distribution in, in the United States with a wonderful company over there called Unplugged Performance in Hawthorne, California, to distribute my DTEC EV uh, products around the world. And yeah, that, that's going to lead to some great things, we hope, as there's just so much more on the cards for these cars and just so little time in which to get it all done. But you know, it sparked my interest in automotive things at a reasonable level again. And, and for that, I'm, I'm pretty happy and pretty thankful. You know, electric cars and everyone's cup of tea, but, and whether you, you love them or hate them, you might have your own reasons. You are going to have to get used to them because they are going to be a part of all of our futures, whether you like it or not. Now, I'm, you know, I've driven a few different electric cars. I wouldn't say a lot because there's not a lot in Australia. Um, I've driven a, a Nissan Leaf. It didn't really inspire me, but I could kind of understand how some people might like it. Um, I tend to get excited about the Tesla product uh, because it's fast, um, and it's fast, and it's fast, and has some really cool touches. And, you know, in my opinion, uh, the founder of, well, he's not actually the founder of the electric car business. He took it over very early in the piece, actually, uh, little known to, to most. Elon Musk, he's, he's you know a genius of our times, in my opinion. And he's got a really young mindset and a cool mindset on things, and that carries through very, very much so to the cars. So if you heard that opening track that was I was just playing there, it wasn't ACDC or Steppenwolf or anything, you know, super rock and roll. It was actually what's known, a track that's known as Snake Jazz from the Rick and Morty show, a US show that apparently is one of Elon's favourites. 
And Elon is about to release an update for the cars, all, I think, Model 3 and Y onwards, uh, made after a certain date, that has the option of having this play while the vehicle is driving. This is obviously to um, pacify some of the draconian Californian laws that, that say electric cars are too quiet and that they can sneak up on you when you're least expecting it as a pedestrian. And, you know, they can. They still make a fair bit of noise. If, if anyone's seen um, any of the dyno runs that I've done on Teslas that are on our YouTube page, they make a fair bit of noise still off the tyres. And tyres are one of the noisiest things of any new car. You know, unless you have a highly modified car with, with you know, big pipes and a, a cammed engine or a supercar that where, where you know the the um, audio appeal is part of the sales sort of pitch of the car. Most cars these days are, are pretty darn quiet, and the tires make the most noise of anything. And in fact, a review I was reading, I don't know how true it is, had a Volkswagen Tiguan being quieter in the interior than a Model Three Tesla. So there you go. These silent cars aren't actually that silent. So to satisfy the lawmakers and the critics, Elon's come up with a choice of either playing Rick and Morty snake jazz while you're driving along, which is a, a pretty <laughs> pretty cool but confronting to some track, or a more soothing Polynesian elevator music, which will also be quite interesting, um, it's particularly if you're going to turn up at a, a luau or a sausage cookout or something like that uh, with your Polynesian elevator music playing. So, okay, like all cars, though, all cars, everything on four wheels, has its good and bad points. Teslas, to some, have bad points in, in the many. Um, to me, and most of these people don't know what they're talking about. They've never driven one. They've, they've read reviews on the net. So let's go through an actual owner's and driver's experience with the cars and get a proper opinion. Okay, well, let's start with the bad first, or things that people might not find pleasurable about the Tesla Model 3. First up, who puts wood grain in the interior of a car, fake wood grain, in 2020? Um, the Model 3 has a big strip across the front of the dash, and, you know, it is, to me, a little bit sort of old school. It's a bit like driving an old Woody. Thankfully, you can get on eBay and, and you can buy some carbon bits that just plonk straight over the top. But you really shouldn't have to. Combine that with a lot of piano black in the interior, um, particularly around the centre console, and all you've got to do is breathe on it and it scratches. That's a bit naff to me. Not a huge fan. You know, some of the plastics aren't great, as you'd expect from a car of... Um, this price point, which in Australia, as Elon has, has acknowledged, is considerable. He wasn't aware they cost as much as they do here, but he also wasn't aware how crappy our dollar's been versus the US dollar lately, because he probably doesn't look. Um, so yeah, there are some naff touches like that, and to some, the styling, particularly the lower-end models, like the SR um, Model 3 or the SR Plus, with its um, aero wheel covers, which do increase range, but I think my wife Lisa describes it best when she says it looks like a smarty. I don't know, a smarty is like an M&M &M for my American listeners. And yeah, look, it it only really all begins to make sense in a styling department with a dual motor or a Model 3 performance on the bigger 20-inch wheels and 
good looking alloys at that and in a nice color like you know the gray that our model three performance is or i actually particularly like them in white with the little carbon ducktail spoiler they have on the boot or the trunk and yeah they 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 look really really cool like that it transforms the cars a lot but there's still no getting away from the point that it is quite a cheapish car in some ways that doesn't carry the cred of its competitors and the natural competitor for the model 3 at least the sr at its you know australian 66,000 or 67,000 dollar price point is uh, a low-end 3 series bmw or c-class mercedes both of which have a more probably accepted and more understood look in australia you know tesla most people have no idea other than the fact that they just think it's some sort of really expensive car and the model, and they are, and Model 3 has kind of diluted that a little bit by making it affordable. So it's not everybody's cup of tea. The next least favourite thing that people talk about is the dash, or lack thereof. We have been trained over many, many years, just, just like we've been trained that our cars have to be filled up at gas stations, petrol stations. We've been trained that we've got to have instruments in front of us, even if they're fake ones. Model 3 doesn't do that. Model 3 has a big screen, big, badass touchscreen in the middle. And people go, oh, you know, how do you, you know, I, I find that distracting. I don't know if I could, uh, distracting. I, I don't know if I could drive a car where, you know, my eyes have got to shoot slightly to the left in the L market or slightly to the right in the US markets to um, see what speed you're doing. Well, to me, it's all pretty intuitive. Um, you drive the car for more than a couple of hours. Everything on the screen makes sense and every part of the car can be controlled through the screen quickly easily and more to the point it makes sense like i get in a lot of modern cars with that many dials switches thumb wheels steering wheels that look like formula one steering wheels because there's so many buttons on them and you, you need an induction to use them with a tesla normally if you can use a, a modern phone you understand the same swipe and drag and click techniques and even for android users or apple users there is a lot of common ground there which is really really good um it's painful not having a button for the glove box you, you've actually got to either command it from the screen with the button press or you can actually just tell the car open glove box and dunk, it opens and it swings open but still you know i was in the passenger side today and I had to open the glove box to uh, get the registration papers for the car out for uh, to put some new ones in, I think. And I had to lean across to the driver's side, press the button on the wheel and say, open glove box. And boom, sure enough, it opened. But wouldn't it have been just easier if I just could have pressed the button on the glove box? Um, another thing that people don't like is the concept of one foot driving. So back in the old days, we had to use three feet. We had a clutch pedal, a brake pedal, and a gas pedal, accelerator pedal, whatever you want to call it. And then as more and more people adopted automatic transmission cars, we just had the accelerator, gas pedal, and the brake. Well, now with the Tesla, you you do have the accelerator and gas pedal and the brake, but I can do a 20 kilometer, 15 mile each direction commute to my place of work each day without ever touching the brake pedal once. And that's because it uses, or the vehicle has certain adjustable levels of regenerative braking where 
the motors do or the motor does the braking for you or the power unit and uses that energy that's harvested from slowing the car down to charge the battery it's a really really cool trick like you can be at the top of our local big mountain and you can coast down and gain another five percent range it's really really cool and when you get used to what they call one pedal driving or regenerative braking it's it's really good and the the upside of it is not only does it stop the car pretty efficiently and give you extra range there are stories where these things haven't had to have the brakes or the brake pads replaced in you know several hundred thousand kilometers of driving now i'll probably never go that far but you compare that to a euro of the same price where the brakes are wearing out every couple of years or every year because they're so soft uh, to pull up the car in cold climates stupid uh, regenerative braking makes one hell of a lot of sense and you know i'd be pretty disappointed in fact when i drive my wife's uh, edition 507 uh, mercedes I take my foot off the throttle to the, or the gas pedal to slow down and it's like, my God, there's something wrong with the car. We're going to hit what's in front of us and I've got to jump on the brakes because I'm just used to the car wanting to pull itself up. It takes a few moments to get used to when you first drive the cars, but once you learn one foot braking, you'll wonder why, you know, conventional gasoline powered cars are such horse and cart things. Now, let's get on to the good stuff. There is plenty of good things to like about electric cars. One is the noise or lack of. Proper performance heads will tell you that they just live for the soundtrack of their V8 or their V12 or their V10 or whatever it may be. And sure, you know, a lot of cars do sound great. Because I work around cars all day that do sound great, I actually don't miss the noises that don't come out of this thing. Mind you, it the engines or the motors power units whatever you want to call them do make their own fair bit of noise they have like a jetson's noise a whirring uh, forget about the ads or the promotional videos you've seen online from ford with their mucky drift car and their drag mustang that's all dubbed stuff to make them sound like demented slot cars these cars do not sound like that thankfully that is just simply annoying these things just sound pretty quiet uh, overall in general, apart from tyre roar. And when you're on a racetrack, you can hear a lot of the stuff getting flung up into the inner guards and thrown up under the car, you know, clicking and cracking and banging of bits of other people's bodywork and rocks and whatever. That's fine. It doesn't really matter. You can hear the curbs as well. For me, I don't miss the lack of noise. And a lot of the people that I know that waffle on about it's got to have a soul, it's got to have noise, it's got to have this. They have the stereos on that loud. You, you can't hear anything most of the bloody time anyway. So to me, that's a moot point. And, you know, if you could always just play snake jazz in the car. That's a good thought. So another good thing. I'll probably leave the best till last. Another good thing is that these things are, are bloody reliable, right? There's not a lot of moving parts. So not a lot can go wrong. There's no valve springs and clutches and and tail shafts and just horrid stuff like that and cylinder head gaskets and problems with poor quality fuels causing detonation and when you're in a performance mode, it's just, it, and they don't stink. You know, I 
have got to the point in my professional life where I work around enough cars that I cannot handle the smell the things make a lot of the time. Horrid. And it's not just performance cars. In fact, some of those, particularly the E85 ones, smell, you know, pretty good. In fact, as Gareth says, he doesn't like them because it makes him hungry. The smell of the burning sugar cane. Um, however, these things have no smell at all. You can smell the tyres when you get them hot. And if you're at a racetrack and you're on the brakes, you can smell the brakes when you get them hot. But you can run them in a closed environment, uh, particularly on a dyno, and not ingest all of these noxious, filthy fumes that particularly, you know, diesel engines, which thankfully will be gone soon, emit. Now, I tune a lot of diesel cars that are involved with it. And, you know, nothing is more horrible than a late model diesel where someone has chosen to remove the DPF and wants it tuned. We won't do it normally because it's just it's something that goes against the grain with me. These things shun the black shit everywhere. They ruin the dino room. They stink up everything. You know, they're just, they're just a, a, like a dinosaur covered in band-aids. And, and their time is, is gone and hopefully gone sooner rather than later. You know, a lot of really modern diesels, like I had the opportunity to work on an SQ7 the other day, Audi, beautiful things. And they don't make any smell and they don't make any smoke, but there is so much complexity cost and potentially things to go wrong maybe not straight away but later down the track that you've got to wonder what the business case for these manufacturers is at this point in time electric cars don't have this problem electric cars and by the time you're listening to this there may be such thing as the tesla million mile battery i've, I've covered this before in ice age but imagine a, a battery that lasts one point as guaranteed to last with this only a small tiny amount of degradation 1.7 million Ks. Cars just don't go that far. There'd be nothing left of the car. The rest of the car would have fallen apart, maybe, by then. So, yeah, the whole, oh, battery life, and, you know, sure, early Priuses with their nickel metal hydride batteries didn't have, you know, the best of names, but this is over 10 years ago now. A lot of things have changed with current lithium-ion technology, and more to the point, what the manufacturers and what Tesla do really, really well is their BMS, battery management system um they can keep the batteries efficient alive and managed for just years and years and years it's not uncommon to see over the life of a eight-year-old tesla i mean there isn't enough data points on them yet because their, their ages aren't you know into the teens and 20s people are seeing only up to in that time only five percent degradation in range which is nothing you'll probably find that your internal combustion engine gets 5% thirstier as it starts to wear out and slowly shit itself across the same sort of mileage. So yeah, you know, simplicity is key. But to me, all of that's cool. And, and of course the handling's great because the center of gravity is very, very low. Yes, they're quite heavy. My Model 3's SR Plus weighs about the same, to put it into perspective, as an Evo 10. Mitsubishi and makes standard more power at the rear wheels than one of those things does at all four. Um, but where they position the weight down low with the skateboard chassis, they call it a skateboard because, you know, everything's done like on a skateboard base. There's no transmission tunnel or any um, carryover from, from uh, gasoline conventional cars or ICE cars like that. 
Um, there are some manuf manufacturers out there, some of the big Europeans, and our car of the year this year in Australia, the Mercedes EQC, is just a gasoline chassis with some batteries stuffed under it. Quite a cynical exercise. They can't position the weight as well as a proper design like Tesla do. Therefore, they'll never be a sharper handling car or as effective in a lot of ways. Sure, the big Teslas get heavy. Like a Model S is, like a Model S Raven is up there in the 23, 2400, somewhere around there. That's a big, heavy car. You know, that's Land Cruiser weight. Thankfully, it also comes out of the factory with nearly 800 horsepower. So that tends to offset that weight, but it also makes them not the sharpest tool in the shed on a track. Whereas a lighter Model 3, well, that's a whole different kettle of fish. You can punch that thing into corners and the grip, even in the rear wheel drive, is absolutely fantastic. They won't give us drift mode in, in the two wheel drives, but in the four wheel drive, like our Model 3 Performance, the biasing and the vectoring of the four wheel drive, because there's no tail shafts joining these things together, it's all software, you can dial up as much oversteer, understeer, bias as you want, and it works absolutely brilliantly. In fact, um, the American driver, Randy Pobbs, who drove the unplugged car at Pikes Peak this year, which is a Model 3 performance that we had some of our parts on, he was involved in track testing, uh, doing the development for Tesla on that actual package on, on track mode. And yeah, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. And it also does cool stuff, like allows you to when you're in the pits, allows you to run the coolers flat out to get get the, the temperatures under control on everything. Now, you can't do that in a um, ice car unless you leave the thing running. You know, in a Tesla, you can circulate the coolant, you can get everything to temperature from your inverter to your stator to your batteries and just leave it to the car to manage while you're plugged in in the pits. Absolutely fantastic idea. Absolutely. Another great point for me is even in the most low-powered of the Teslas I've driven, is the throttle response. It is the most direct, linear, and torque-rich response of any any car I've ever driven. And I've driven tons. I've owned tons. You name it. Most brands. Um, the throttle response is like something you, you could only just wish for. And it is just like a big elastic bungee cord. You might hear this from road reviewers. But it's not so much the pure rate of acceleration. I mean, even in the even in the lowliest, the SR3 Plus Model 3, um, it's still 0 to 100 in under five seconds if you drive it right. So it's still damn fast and, and blows away most anything on the road. Well, how can that be? Because there are cars that are faster, 0 to 100, than that. But the problem with internal combustion or ICE cars is it to get the best out of them from a launch, you normally need to put this in race mode, do that, um, pull the left paddle up to accept launch control start. Then you've got to sit there like a goon at the lights going up to four and a half thousand revs. And if the light doesn't turn green fast enough after a few seconds, in a lot of cases, it'll drop back out of launch mode and you'll go to take off and it'll bog and up the road. You'll be lucky to do 0 to 100 in eight, right? So... There are all these special conditions that need to be met to make an internal combustion car launch. And that's just a pain in the ass. To some people, it's a science and it's a lot of great fun. And, you know, when you're at the racetrack, it is. You know, getting everything right for launch is killer, you know. And you can tie your revs up and down for maximum traction. 
In a Tesla, you just go stuff it and hit the throttle. Simple as that. There is no special setup. You don't have to do anything. You are ready to go at any time, anywhere, any place. And I think that was the great GDR um, marketing slogan back in 2009 for the R35. But those things aren't ready to go at any point unless all of the stars are aligned and you know you've given it a special breakfast in the morning the transmission temperature is over 60 degrees c you've got the right software uploaded into the tcm yada 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 yawn dinosaur stuff good fun and sounds great and feels great but you're going to get munched most of the time by new generation electric cars i hate to break it to you right and that's simple as that um the next brilliant thing i think particularly about the the model 3 performance or any model 3 because people actually don't know the difference between them when they look at them they all look the same i suppose like you know all c-class mercedes look the same and some of them are much 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 faster than others but everyone wants to have a go no matter where you are they look at you and if they're in a quick car they screw their nose up and they look and they will rev up alongside you and they'll try and cut in on you. And, you know, the trick is just to look ahead. You know, he must be a nerd. He's driving an electric car. And, yeah, I'm, I am a bit of a nerd, so that's cool. But punch a throttle and drop them back into the horizon. I had one guy under controlled conditions the other day in a walkinshaw supercharged hsv and he tried it from a standing start and because tesla's come complete with a dash cam that shoots out of all angles of the car i recorded him first time was standing start and i think over about 200 meters i probably won that one by about 150 and so luckily we're in an open speed zone on this racetrack he came up alongside me at about 40 miles an hour and you know, his girlfriend gave me the three, two, one out the window and I hit the throttle again and dropped him. Um, not by as much as time because once this thing was up on revs and had traction with its probably 700 horsepower or 750 horsepower, it went better. But up to 100 mile an hour, it was still dropping back to the point where I just called it quits at 100 mile an hour and just got out of the race. But to his credit, rather than throw his beverage out the window at me or whatever they were doing in the car at the time other than losing he actually gave me the thumbs up we had a chat at the lights and he thought it was pretty cool so i suppose the lesson to be learned from this is that real car enthusiasts like real fast cars and that's the point i'm trying to get across to you all here is electric cars may not be everyone's cup of tea but we are all going to have to embrace them at some stage as painful as it might be for some of you if you have a friend with a Tesla, get them to take you for a drive, or even better, get them to let you drive it. It may very well change your mind very, very quickly, like it did mine. I've always been open-minded to cars, and I love fast cars. I don't give a damn if they run on horse dung, as long as they're fast. And to me, that's the whole Hesla's, the Tesla, Hesla, Tesla story. It, while they keep, keep building faster and faster cars with the promise of the roadster with spacex cold gas thrusters doing 0 to 100 in 1.1 that that whole thing may be just a load of crap but you know what i don't think so i think it's going to happen but you know time will tell and time will tell us by about 2023 so open your mind 
embrace some change. And if any of you are in my local area and you know where I am at Powertech Tuning most of the time, drop in and see me and I'll take you for a drive and maybe we can listen to a little bit of snake jazz together. So until then, everyone, stay tuned, enjoy yourselves, and settle in for your next edition of Range Anxiety. Thank you very much.